The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. I'm your host. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Our production elements are handled by Provolone, our entitled intern. Thank you, folks, for joining us here today at the Week in Review. Let's get right into our lineup here. This week, we're going to hear from Joseph J.B. Bendick as he talks about some of the themes coming off NAEP, like the disconnection with our youth the shale new deal and some of the frack debates that are happening internally amongst the industry also ray scott with colorado senate district 7 opines on the environmental issues in the state as well as the root of the activism talks about local control working against the locals and using children as political activism john clark joins us for our weekly og report john clark is with clark energy consulting this week lateral drills and how many miles they're getting these days and bailey midkiff and jake milney as they come on to talk about the recent rolling stone article on radioactive wastewater pointing the finger at oil and gas of course jake and bailey remind us of a recent study that was done in wyoming where the contaminant was produced in the lab, not out in the field. So we talk about that amongst much, much more on today's episode of the Crude Life Week in Review. Of course, the music you're hearing is the Moody River Band. It's one of our ways here at the Crude Life, our Crude Life music crossover, where we reach out to people who are not working day-to-day here in the oil and gas industry and help each other out in ways that we can. And one of the ways is by promoting their music. This is the Moody River Band we use in our bumper music here. So if you go to the crudelife.com and click on the show pages, you'll see that these links are there for the Moody River Band as our uh, featured music crossover, if you will. So appreciate it, folks, if you'd support them for supporting us. Before we get to our first interview here, I do want to mention all of the interviews that you hear today are available at the crudelife.com. All right, let's get with John Clark with Clark Energy Consultant with his weekly OG Brief. Join now with John Clark, Clark Energy Consultant, to go over this week's OG Brief. Drilling multi-mile laterals like nobody's business is what it's titled today. So, John Clark, how are you doing? Hey, Jason, doing well. Thank you for asking. Well, let's go over this week's OG Brief. What do you got for us for this week? So, yeah, this, this week... I, uh, I'd like to give a kudos to my buddies in drilling. Uh, we'll call this, I guess, Technical Thursday. Um, the OG brief, like you mentioned, drilling multi-mile laterals like nobody's business. Uh, quite a feat in horizontal drilling. In uh, horizontal shell well drilling, um, a little lesson here, the, the terminal depth of a well is considered the toe, while the section of the curve near the curve in the lateral is called the heel. So if you ever hear someone mention lateral length, that's basically the heel to toe section of a well, the horizontal section that gets fracked and, and produce 
you know, about a decade ago, lateral lengths were drilled somewhere around a mile, maybe less than a mile, you know, less than 5,000 feet. And I was looking at a chart and that was what prompted this OG brief that's showing average lateral lengths by play. Uh, The chart is up and to the right and lateral lengths continue to grow each quarter in every basin. And it's really a testament to the technology and the learning curve of, you know, shale drilling. And, and that's the the primary technology that's allowed for oil and gas extraction and shale resources. And it's, it's just interesting to see that it continues to grow. It's something I've experienced last year. Uh, the company I was with drilled a three mile lateral in the Permian. So we're talking 15,000 feet and to be able to go from 5,000 to 15,000 feet laterals and, you know, less than a decade is quite an accomplishment. So I wanted to touch on that and kind of talk about a little bit on, you know, what it means for the business and kind of what I expect to see going forward uh, in 2020. So the, uh, you know, the reason lateral length is important, and I often speak to clients who ask about macro trends and kind of the impacts on shale developments. And so that's what I'll talk about today. As you drill longer wells, ultimately more oil and gas can be produced, you know, ultimately a fundamental driver in draining shale resources with less wells and a smaller surface impact. Uh, If you think back to the days of gushers in vertical wells, I've seen pictures of rigs stacked on top of rigs and uh, it's, it's quite a mess. But so, you know, to be able to say that we're able to produce oil and gas with a small environmental footprint is, is huge. Not everyone talks about that, but it is a testament to the technology and, and how we're able to um, reduce our surface impact. So the key here is that more oil can be produced with less wells. So what does that mean? As investors continue to demand capital austerity, one of the best solutions is to drill longer laterals, and that's evidence in the data. Uh, This is because ultimately return on capital employed, you may hear this as ROCE, uh, is significantly higher as you drill longer wells compared to many other well design factors. So all that means is uh, the longer well you drill, the better chance at producing oil at a lower cost. But their longer wells don't come without their own risks and complexities. A few of those uh, risks include getting stuck, arrows and window targeting, being able to run casing to bottom, uh, being able to cement the whole well, increasing the number of interventions, also known as trips, needed for plug and perf, and milling of those plugs, in addition to limitations on uh, the plug milling reach. The uh, there certainly have been advances in the technology that have helped solve these problems as engineers continue to prove longer wells as viable to producing more with less, uh, a key trend in 2020. So compared with last year, you know, rig count is down about 25%, while frat crews are down around 33%. Um, Years ago, one frat crew could service around two drilling rigs, but due to efficiencies and advancements in the rig technology, 
and being able to drill longer wells, we're seeing that now one frat crew can will service around two and a half to three rigs. And a lot of the rigs that have been laid down are the less performing rigs. So the, 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 the rigs that can drill these long wells are the ones that are active right now. Uh, but we've continued to see more wells being completed and drilled with less number of rigs. So also a testament to the technology. Uh, so in this OG brief I'll publish, you'll uh, you'll see the chart. It's up and to the right, and and I think three mile laterals are becoming the norm. Whereas uh, you know a decade ago we were drilling one mile laterals. So that's kind of the topic for for this week's OG brief, and glad to share it. And that was John Clark with Clark Energy Consulting. To listen to the full length interview. Go to thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. We're going to take a brief pause. We come back. We'll continue the conversation with Ray Scott, Colorado Senate District 7. My name is Jason Spies, and this is The Crude Life Week in Review. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we talk with Ray Scott with Colorado Senate District 7. That's up in the Grand Junction, Mesa County area. Senator Ray Scott from Grand Junction, Colorado. Excellent. Thank you for joining the program here today. Grand Junction, one of my favorite parts of Colorado. Love it up in that area, that rifle area. You get up in that, a lot of national parks up there, so... Very, oh, yeah, it's a great place. Yeah, very blessed to have you on the program today to talk a little bit about, you know, there's energy development up there, too, and that wasn't even the lead-in with the national parks, but I suppose that should probably be brought up, too, in this interview. <laughs> but uh, let, let's start off with just a little bit of an update, and I'm responding to, by the way, thank you for coming on the program, uh, Senator Scott, sure. but um, I, I sent you an article coming out of your newspaper, the Grand Junction newspaper, mm-hmm. that just kind of gave an overview about uh oil and gas activity and i just wanted to get it from your perspective you talk to a lot of industry out there you talk talk to a lot of people out there what are you hearing out in the street and do you disagree or agree with some of the things in that article well you know i think a a lot of what was in the article was excuse me was uh you know you want you want to keep a positive attitude about these things right um it's not as rosy as what I think a lot of people might think it's going to be in the future. Um, my big concern is, is the industry retracts uh, what's going to happen with our severance tax, for example. Right now, all told in Colorado, we bring in about $31 billion a year from oil and gas activities. And that includes severance tax, 
revenues for everything from hotels to restaurants to everything else. As that starts to dwindle, how do you backfill that? How, how do you backfill $31 billion in revenue uh, if Governor Polis is successful in moving the industry out of the state of Colorado? And that's also about 225,000 jobs. We've already seen about a 30% cut in jobs here in Colorado on the oil and gas industry uh, with no end in sight for, uh, for, that, for that change in jobs out here. Uh, yes, it is very concerning. There are some things that are glimmers of hope, if you will, because as you've probably looked at, eastern Colorado is predominantly oil production. Western Colorado is predominantly natural gas production. So we have the pipeline networks. As I heard in a, in a conference up in Anchorage, Alaska this, this past fall, you know, we understand in this industry that the, the resource isn't the problem. The technology is not the problem. <clears throat> the politics are the problem. And we see that all over the country with pipeline issues. Uh, we see it, of course, in Colorado with environmental issues. So it makes it very difficult to, to work in those, those fields. But hopefully, uh, we're able to make some deals with, you know, right now they're working on an export terminal in Baja, California. There's one up in north of Vancouver. And, of course, we have the Jordan Cove project. We need to get that resource out of the Piance Basin to the markets that need it and want it and will help us globally, not only from an from a, uh, economic you know, policy-type side, but you know, it helps human beings do what they do. And it also can help China get off of more coal, for an example. And th- those are all good things. There's all positive things that we can do. But you've got to have a political atmosphere that will let you do that. And right now we don't. Ray Scott, our guest, talking about some of the issues happening in Colorado where they're ramping up once again uh, some of the regulations and setbacks when it comes to oil and gas. Uh, you mentioned the taxes. By the way, uh, for those joining us, the article I'm, I'm reference, references, referencing excuse me, is from the Grand Junction Daily Sentinel entitled The Titled, the county is cautiously optimistic about the economy, but oil and gas slowdown and regulations are a concern. And for anybody who's been following Colorado, that's a very, you know, that's that says basically what's been happening over the past year. But you brought up the tax revenue. And to me, that is one of the things that I would think a lot more uh, leaders uh, like yourself, politicians, uh, industry leaders would be coming forward and really trying to hammer that home to the um oh i don't know educational lead you know what i mean by that to where in north in north dakota for example 55 percent of our state budget is allocated to the oil and gas production and extraction tax and actually if you look at like vehicle registrations and some of those secondary taxes some argue it's close to 65 percent of our state budget comes from oil and tax and you understand the the, the, what i'm getting at yeah well and i can recall a a short meeting I was involved with with your past governor, Dalrymple. Did I say that right? You did. Ja- uh, governor Jack Dalrymple, yep. Yeah. Well, you know, we had Hickenlooper, so Dalrymple, I mean, good grief. It was a little tricky to say either one of those names. Right. Uh, <laughs> I remember him telling me that, that, that North Dakota had a real big problem. It was called a billion-dollar reserve. <laughs> so I was just like, 
Gee, thanks for that, you know? Well, and it, and it's a good problem to have, but at the same time, it's kind of like that problem Wyoming has where they don't really even have a Democratic legislator, so even the dumb ideas get through way too fast, you know? So, <laughs> sometimes, you know, you can have, the good problems to have can turn into real problems, so. Oh, yeah, well, money's the root of all evil, right? Right, exactly, yeah, but, but uh, when it comes to, like, some of the educational side of things and... You know, the actual so, uh, social programs, does that ever come up in any of these public hearings, any of these types of things, or do they just assume that it, it's going to get replaced by the taxpayers? Well, I'll tell you what, that, that narrative is, has been used a lot in Colorado. It's, uh, you know, a lot of people's eyes glass over when you start to talk about that. And as you know, I think, you know, a typical voter, a typical person out there in, in our country we don't notice something until it hits us in our wallet, right? All of a sudden, our utility bill is doubled, or our car payment doubled, or insurance goes up. You know, the things that smack you in the wallet, and you go, whoa, what just happened? And sadly enough, I think that's going to have to happen to people in Colorado. They're, they're going to have to feel the pain and then say, well, what went wrong? What's, what's going on? Because you, you and I both know most people aren't paying attention to politics. You know, the national scene takes all the air out of the room. So people are, you know, you turn on the news and they're talking about New Hampshire and Iowa and, you know, all these other things are going on. And uh, these kind of problems sneak up behind you and, and, and catch you off guard. And I'm, I'm very concerned that that's what's going to happen here in Colorado. Maybe sooner than later, people are going to get smacked in the wallet, realize that, well, wait a minute, how come the school can't hire new teachers or we can't build the bridge or the sewer plant can't be updated? And then, then start to understand that severance taxes was paying for that. And without those severance taxes, there's, how do you backfill that unless you tax the general public in some fashion or form uh, to recover those kind of funding? Uh, and, and I think that's when people will really wake up. And I, and I do hope that happens sooner than later. I think you're probably going to be right on that. There's going to be a little bit of tough love before people understand what the term everyday energy really means. And, oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, and when we say everyday energy, you know, we're talking about toothpaste, prosthetics, the plastic that goes over syringes at the hospital. I mean, we're talking about all kinds of things that I agree. You know, it's, it's really funny when the average person will have no problem saying, let's get rid of fossil fuels, but won't, sure. go, won't go 30 minutes without their cell phone. Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, it's, it's those things that we take for granted, right? We just take all those things for granted. I think the last I looked, there was something like, 6,800 products that we use on a daily basis that they're derived from fossil fuel. The, the opposition's playbook has become fascinating to me. Uh, as we've noticed, they've now brought in young people. So they're infiltrating our school system with the knowledge that they want to spread or the message they want to spread. Uh, the, the Greta Thornburgs of the world. Uh, there was a protest here not long ago where they had let kids get out of school to come uh, protest climate change here at the Capitol. I remember looking out the window and I saw children that weren't old enough to understand that they were, you know, somebody had probably told them we're going to Dairy Queen, handed them a sign that said climate change kills kids and they wander around the Capitol with it. They, they're too young to understand the issue, right? Uh, and that is a dangerous, dangerous thing for our society as a, as a, as a whole, I think, to, you know, for schools to allow those things to be taking place. 
Uh, but they've infiltrated the, the education system so much. Uh, I get calls all the time from constituents saying, hey, my kid was just told he had to take this test. It's not a state-sanctioned test or an education or a, a, a district-sanctioned test. It's something a teacher came up with off of some website that talks about how bad fossil fuel is. And, that, and those things are very disturbing. And uh, so, you know, the, the problem is, I think, you know, the industry, with a, a consistent message that they pushed out there. And that was Ray Scott, Colorado Senate District 7. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and you are listening to The Crude Life Week in Review. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you. And the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts and then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Speece on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Speece, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thoughts on this? No one does an interview like Jason Speece. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we talk with J.B. Bentick with the Novitus Organization. Let's get to kind of some of the meat of the topic here, some of the progressive talk uh, with the Crude Life and yourself and what people are talking about in the industries. Mixed messages coming out of NAEP last week. One, one of the things that we talked about was uh, reconnecting with Generation Z. I think they've got basically anybody under the age of 40 to reconnect with, to be honest. And that is something that uh, here in the crude life, we've been, well, we talked about it last summer at several uh, speaking presentations I did, as well as panel discussions. So I was happy to see it come out of NAEP. There were some things I was a little bit critical on as well, but let's start with the, the reconnecting with the youth what are your thoughts on industry getting on the same page now that we do need to reinvent energy and figure out how to reconnect? Yeah, you know, the, 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 the biggest thing and concern for me is, is the fact that, you know, we stay in this bubble and we have to learn to get outside the bubble. We have to learn to go and actually engage, con, and I call it con, conversation, not conversation. 
anyone can just have a conversation back and forth and then those usually turn into debates and, and people get fired up in emotions and, and nothing gets accomplished out of it. And I believe that if, if we are able to step out of our comfort zone and be able to, again, convoluation and be able to point out that everything that's around us with an oil and gas and everything that is consumed and used by the younger generation comes from in one shape or form or another from a petroleum you know product or byproduct and i just think it, we we are to blame as an industry because we stay in our bubble and we and we we just don't engage and we think oh you know they're stupid or they're this or that and that doesn't accomplish anything so i think that's you know the number one way that we can um engage engage with them is, is to have a have a conversation as i say with them how about when it comes to talking to him about some different facts? Uh, presentation, obviously, was brought up in, in ways of, you know, like I say, reinventing energy, reconnecting, uh, conversation, like you said. I've, I've even gone as far as to say, I think we should get rid of the word fracking and just change it with flushing, you know, horizontal flushing. You know, flushing is something relatable. It's something people do every day. You know, even the kids will probably laugh because it's poopy, you know, and they know it's where the poop goes, so it's chuckly. You know, but that almost seems like too dramatic and too drastic of a change. But at the same time, when I hear the word frack, you fracture a relationship, you fracture a dam, you fracture a bone. There's really not a, anything but a negative connotation with the word. And so that's the type of conversations I, I, I'm wondering if anyone is even having in the industry, because I've never heard that before of, you know, just making some slight changes like that um what are your thoughts on on something as crazy as changing fracking to flushing <laughs> it's, it's it's a great idea but even within the industry with a week alone have debates on if you spell frack with a c or a k and we can't get past that <laughs> i think we're totally screwed on trying to switch up the whole name on it see see my, my way takes care of that whole debate it eliminates it all right there it just you don't even have to worry if it's a c or a k because it's it's yeah. flush <laughs> Anyway, go on. Sorry. Oh no, no, no. You're, no, you're quite right. What I was going to say on top of that. See, that's going back to the the other question you had about conversation is the fact that we're taking the bait on stuff like that. Is it a K or is it a C? Instead of actually having a conversation with individuals out there to help explain exactly what it is, because they've been half the time they they have not a clue. They just know it's bad, it's evil. You know, you pollute our water. You know, et cetera, et cetera. You know that we hear all the time in industry. But we're, we're, we're getting misguided. We're in our bubble sitting there. It's a K. No, it's a C. You know, get out of the bubble. You know, we have to, we have to push back and, and learn and have this, you know, these conversations. And I think that spins a little bit more on, on another topic is the fact that a lot of individuals out there, so I don't mean it's any bad way, but they, especially in the industry, they really don't know the numbers or, or the facts. They don't know how to rebut uh, with with numbers sometimes and, and and I think that's again goes down to our our, our industry living within within a, a bubble where we don't have to worry, worry about that it's just hey what do you do I'm in this job well that's great man and, and, and then they bump into someone who protests them and that person pushes back and they just sit there and say oh hey you know what you're an idiot you have no idea where it comes from and they ask you okay well where does this come from and they don't know the byproducts that it comes from or what it takes to you know, to, to make it um, those byproducts, but being able to push back and say, Hey, by the way, you know what, here's how a cracker plant works. And, you know, this is where the raw material, you know, for the plastic comes from. And, oh, by the way, it supports X amount of jobs, you know, down the street. And they go, Oh, really? That company, my my uncle works there. And the light bulb goes off. 
you know, but we, we, we sit there and is it a K or is it a C? Is it a K or is it a C? So I think uh, hopefully we can get past that and have, again, just more, more um, honest, con- you know, uh, you know, you know, conversation as I, as I always say. So the other thing I heard, and I talked to some marketing people in the industry, and it was a very touchy subject because there was a lot of headlines. There was a lot of um, quick, great momentum behind it. But as you kind of, you know, as things settle a little bit, you start hearing some rumblings and some, you know, private conversations, this and that. And it had to do with the Shale New Deal. And again, this is where I go back to as an industry, I think sometimes we can not only get in a bubble, but finger point internally a little bit too much when I think there are times we need to say, hey, if we're on the same page, let's just, let's be grateful for that. Because nowadays that's, that's getting few and far between when really a, a lot of the issues in oil and gas are based on legislation. And so the industry, and that's by design, that's by design, um, by the opposition to divide and conquer type of a thing. So when I, you know, the Shale New Deal, uh, some of the things that I, I was kind of hearing was uh, it was a good, good name, but at the same time, it did validate the Green New Deal. And that brought up the bigger question, which is we need to take control of the conversation back. You know, we need to grab a hold of the conversation when we as an industry impact 96 percent of people's daily lives through products and transportation and services, we can take the conversation back again. Um, what, what did you hear? You know, kind of good and bad and indifferent a little bit, because again, we're just having this conversation a little bit. Um, did you hear anything good and bad about the Shale New Deal? You know, it's, it's a mixed bag. I heard, you know, more of it from when it hit the wires, especially within on the investment side, because, you know, Parsley is a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, it, it hit the wires that way and I jumped a lot more, um, you know, de, you know, not debate, but, um, invest, investment analysts and companies and stuff like that, um, to, to weigh in on it. And I don't know, I, I can't be in, you know, in, in the minds of the leadership at, at you know, at, at part, you know, Parsley. Um, but I'm wondering if they're doing that because, they they want to show the you know the younger generation the millennials out there that they that they have heard them and that they're responding or if they're doing it because they want to appease the you know the investment community and you know have that you know clean access to you know capital markets etc it's hard to really um, know exactly from from their mindset on it. Um, Can I jump in because I, yeah. I I do agree with you and that's where I was confused because. Listen, the the Green New Deal is just a spinoff of FDR's New Deal, correct? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, from a, yeah. from a branding, so from a marketing standpoint, you know, from headlines and catching headlines, it's something to talk about. Okay? Right. You know, okay, but and, but but as far as the Green New Deal, the, the idea was is what what we did with the roads and the infrastructure. That's what we're supposed to do with the energy infrastructure. That was kind of the idea behind the marketing and the naming behind the Green New Deal. That was my understanding. Um, and so, but I don't, I don't think anybody really knows that. You know what I mean? It's just, it's because it's, it's so far removed from the actual New Deal that um, people just think it is what it is. And that's why I wonder about the Shale New Deal because it seemed like it was a reaction to the Green New Deal, which I think it was. Um, 
And, and that, that was the concerning part because it wasn't well explained how they're going to roll it out. You know what I mean? And that's why I wanted to interrupt because I, I didn't really understand how they're going to roll this out because is it going to, you know, go on. I mean, sorry, I, I lost my train of thought there as I interrupted you with your train of thought. So. <laughs> no, 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 you bring up a great, you know, great point, especially with, you know, AOC as they call her in her, you know, quote unquote green new deal. And so, yes, of course, you know, the millennial, you know, the millennials, Gen, Gen Z, et cetera, probably would only think of the Green New Deal and not even historically go back to, you know, the New Deal with F, with FDR, which is where the Green the Green Deal originated from. I don't think they would go that deep into the history of it. Um, so yes, I absolutely you know see where you're coming from from on on that one. The terminology probably could have been better better thought thought out. And that was J. B. Joseph Bendick with Novitus Organization. To listen to the full length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spees, and this is the Crude Life We Can Resume. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Make Energy Great Again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make Energy Great Again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make Energy Great Again. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you. And the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we talk with Bailey Midkiff and Jake Milney with the William Insulation Company with WIC. And they comment on the Rolling Stone article about radioactive wastewater pointing the finger towards oil and gas, plus much more. This is Bailey Midkiff and Jake Milney. Bailey Midkiff, WIC. Jake Milney, WIC. Outstanding. The levels look great, and I appreciate you both joining us today. And I wanted to get right into the meat of it right away because it is it is something I think it's going to be an ongoing topic. I wanted to be on the forefront of it. Wanted to bring you guys in to talk a little bit about the uh, radioactive cover story on Rolling Stone. And, of course, that means it's going to hit the youth and it's going to create a whole new conversation about energy and just based on those keywords alone, do you two know what I'm talking about? And... What kind of uh, comments are we in for today? <laughs> I mean, we always enjoy the comments, Jason. But, uh, I mean, 
that kind of puts it on a weird thing. It actually, the first thing that comes to my mind, you know, uh, Jake and I were actually having uh, some dinner last night, you know, the regular hamburger chat, and uh, we discussed how on December 23rd, I think it was a Monday, there was uh, an article brought up that uh, Pavilion Wyoming was a big discussion for some time. It's actually been uh, an ongoing investigation until they finally closed it that day. Uh, about fracking and contaminated water. Uh, it's, it's pretty interesting to find out that this investigation started in 2008 and had a lot of uh, various uh, topics that came with it, but they concluded that uh, it was not contaminated because of fracking, which was quite an interesting thing to talk about because it's always something that's brought up, right? Well, to me, the word radioactive oil and gas wastewater is is going to be used in all kinds of signs it's uh you know it's 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 going to be played on and that seems to be the thrust and the the bulk or the 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 core i should say of what this narrative is trying to be and i look at it as a narrative because i haven't seen any of the science yet that's been proven but jake do you do you have any comments on this as far as uh how, how they're treating this and the story that's come out on this and have you heard any comments from people in the industry? I haven't heard a whole lot, but as far it's just pushing the same agenda as always, right? Um, just like uh, with Pavilion, it, for years it was it was oh, the water's bad, and it's all because of the oil and gas companies and you know, spent millions and millions of dollars. I think DEQ spent one point two million dollars investigating this. And here it is. It turns out, well, actually, uh, EPA was wrong. Now the state took over, and, and DQ says, well, this is what really happened. They're, they're saying that it's uh, PVC particles, and the in the first investigation is common contaminant in their the lab that was originally hired to do it. It that's no one wants to see that when you're on the other side of the agenda, right? But I think it's it's something that we're going to continue to see. And it's it's not going to stop. It's it's pushing that agenda, right? It's just it's all bad. We've all had this conversation multiple times. It's the word, right? It it, it develops a, a, a toxic taste in your mouth just on how it's been presented for so long, right? The resonation with the audience you're pushing for. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, and I I'm not going to say names, but I mean like Pavilion Wyoming and this specific oil and gas company. You know, they come in and. Uh, they take care of this. I think it's 12 miles is this field alone. And uh, <clears throat> they find themselves, you know, getting pushback from smaller people. I mean, when you start looking at a small town like that with a very large company, other things come to mind. I mean, you know, are, are we getting the uh, compensation we deserve? You know, I mean, a lot of variables come to that and different feelings people have which I think kind of started this whole conversation. I think the whole thing actually started in 2008 when they felt that it had a weird tinge slash taste to it as well as a smell, you know, and then this whole thing took off from there. Well, the funniest part, uh, I was talking with my cousin. He was, he worked for that company when this all happened and, and he worked for the, co the small company that uh, operated the field before it was bought out and it was never an issue. And then uh, what it all, his opinion on that particular one was that it all came down to the surface rights. Is that then the, the big company came in and, and uh, a few people got upset about uh, not getting their extra slice of the pie when the big dogs came in. And that's where it all started from and it escalated from there. But the radioactive uh, 
oil. Where where are they claiming this is is coming from? <laughs> I have to do a search on that. To listen to the full-length interview with Jake Milne and Bailey Midkiff from William Insulation, WIC, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. That's going to do it for today's program, folks. I'd like to thank you for tuning in and choosing The Crude Life as part of your weekly content here the crude life week in review of course we do have a daily podcast if you go to the crudelife.com we've got our daily podcast there plus all the interviews that you've heard on today's program and much much more are available at the crudelife.com in their entirety and their isolation we make up new words here at the crude life because you know what it's the weekend well we feel like it's the weekend every time we do a week in review that is our weekend folks So hopefully it's yours too and you can kick back and you can enjoy yourself a little bit. And hopefully we've been able to educate you, entertain you, and even inform you a little bit here at The Crude Life as we try to do that each and every week and each and every day. And we are very grateful that you chose us for part of your weekly, daily, monthly content because we all know that everybody has a podcast and now Steve Harvey is giving me news in between the gas pumps. So... It seems that you can get your content from anywhere, including the handheld computer that acts as a communication device. In fact, a taxi cab gave me the sports scores for the Super Bowl when I was out of town the other day. So, I mean, it just seems like everybody and anybody has content and they're throwing it at you. And there's so many different places you can get it. So we appreciate it. Very long way to say thank you here at The Crude Life, but sometimes... A long thank you is needed. So thank you very much, folks. We appreciate it taking the time out to listen to us. And also, we would like to thank Jake Milne and Bailey Midkiff with William Insulation at WIC. Also, Ray Scott, Colorado Senate District 7. Joseph J.B. Bendick with Novitus Organization. And John Clark with Clark Energy Consulting for coming on the Crude Life podcast and the Crude Life Week in Review. We appreciate it very much, folks. And we appreciate you once again for tuning in and listening here. Provolone, I even appreciate you, you entitled intern, you. But thank you very much for doing the work. From the staff here at The Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. Crude Life is sponsored in part by Make Energy Great Again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make Energy Great Again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make Energy Great Again. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. 
innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 